everybody welcome once again to rise of the gm where today we're talking about a were shark if you know what that is an immortal murderer and what it takes to make a world what kind of things go into the world making process here on rise of the gm all right well hey adam we are uh, back the week before christmas we're heading into uh, Christmas Eve on Sunday and Christmas mm. Day on Monday. Uh, with that being said, we do not have an episode next week, right? We are unsure if we may drop a one-minute Merry Christmas thing. Mm-hmm. You'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> but uh, we are talking today about some interesting stuff to do with, we're beginning a world-building series. Uh, this is going to be, I don't know, four or five uh, so uh, sessions long in in this uh, topic, but we're going to be starting today with the idea of map making, which mm-hmm. is going to be an interesting and fun one to talk about. But before we get to that, uh, we are going into Christmas. Do you have any big plans heading into this weekend? Not really. Uh, I, yeah, we have uh, we have some sickness in our house, so we're kind oh, of that sounds waiting. like a great Christmas present. Yeah, it's a great Christmas <laughs> present. So we're it's a Christmas present we're not wanting to give to other people. So uh, yes, we're we're gonna see what that looks like. Um, supposed to be going to my family's uh, over the weekend and hang out there, but gotta make sure everybody's not contagious before that happens. So I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, since the week before Thanksgiving, I feel like our house has been sick. Uh, one person mm-hmm. or another just kind of floating around back and forth. And we were just all coming out of it. And my son just a couple of days ago started being like, I have a sore throat. And I'm like, stop, yeah. <laughs> do not get sick before Christmas or Santa yeah. won't come. No, yeah. Santa Santa will still come and make it a good Christmas, but I want him to be able to enjoy it. And uh, so, yeah. yeah, I hope everybody out there in the listening world, I hope you're not dealing with sickness. If so, yeah. look for a healing potion somewhere. Yep. <laughs> That's what yep. we're doing. We're going to find one. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yep. uh, well, uh, I tell you what, we are going to jump into one of the craziest encounter starters <laughs> that we might have encountered uh, so far in this podcast. Uh, and luckily, we kind of flip back and forth. This is Adam's week to do the encounter starter. So, Adam, you get to drop this on the folks. Do it now. I, I get to, re- yeah, I get to read this. Um, so one of my favorite, before I go into that, one of my favorite, uh, like posts that I see pop up on like gaming sites and things, uh, on our Instagram, uh, a lot of times I'll have to see if I can find it and share it. But, uh, it's like, uh, you know, the D the GM is like, uh, in the distance, you see a warehouse and one of the players is like, so is that like a <laughs> werewolf, but it's like half house and half and it's like half human GM scribbling <laughs> scribbling quickly behind the gm screen it is now you know <laughs> so, <laughs> so i i think it'd be a fun one to to pull out but uh, this is about a yeah where sharks where shark i'm just gonna say i told adam before this <laughs> this uh thing started i'm like when i read that i'm like where shark what the heck mm-hmm. i don't think i would have ever thought yeah where shark when right. i think where it's always followed by wolf yeah i don't know uh, when did all the other where things come about? Okay, so I know that. All right, we're just getting a little off, tan, <laughs> a little on tangent or whatever. Uh, 
I werewolves for me were always like the wolf man sort of thing. And then uh, I started hearing a lot of people talk about like shapeshifters. And in my mind, when I think shapeshifters, I think mystique, right? From the X-Men, mm -hmm. she can shift into other people. But uh, a lot of shapeshifter lore is about werewolves. But again, that always seems right, to right. be about wolves. But now it seems like there's where everything, where sharks being what we're talking about today and warehouses being something that you might incorporate in game. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about all these different where things. Yeah. We talked, we talked about last week about history and how that like plays into those things. And I would be interested because I've, I've like listened to podcasts about like the lore of a werewolf or like seeing writing and stuff like that. But that, that it would be interesting to be like, okay, is there like in history of myth, a werebore or a werebear or is that just like oh, D &D bear. Decided, you know <laughs> it sounds too close to care bear, care bear yeah it <laughs> does the werebear stare on you Maybe something jumps from its chest any of you out there remember the care bears if you don't oh yeah go back and watch it sometime oh, yeah. or have kids then they'll watch it yeah yeah Maybe. okay I, get, I better get on this before we uh where shark here we go where sharks where sharks so this is called first date it's from the eureka book from gnome stew and this is a weird one it's a weird one. Uh, so in a busy port city, an ancient were-shark and her adolescent son are posing as a young noblewoman and her younger brother. And they've embarked on a bloody campaign to consolidate her political power in the city. Her plan is to bewitch her innocent son so that he attacks the children of prominent families. And she hopes that those attacks will awaken his innate rage and toughen him up as a man. He knows... Real quick how is this going to help her political power? Didn't understand that part, but continue. Maybe she, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so <laughs> he knows he's a were shark, but he rarely acts on his animal instincts. The PCs are helping the city watch investigate a series of mutilations. The crimes all took place in small studios rented by women whose descriptions match the appearance of the victims. Each is a well-stocked is well-stocked with expensive wine and art, and each studio is also thoroughly destroyed and drenched in blood. The victims' clothes are surprisingly in good condition, indicating that their bodies were dressed after their deaths. At each victim's house, the PCs will find love letters, art, and an invitation to model from a secret admirer. During their investigation, the PCs discover that a young woman in the area who fits the profile has just left for a rendezvous. Bursting in on the scene, the PCs find a naked young woman desperately trying to fend off a were-shark in hybrid, the bipedal form. Once the PCs have wounded the were-shark, he reverts to human form and collapses. The party escorts him to prison. Under questioning, the were-shark is shocked to hear what he has done. He admits to suffering blackouts during recent trysts with a handful of women, but insists that the women solicited him and claims to have letters at home to prove it. The woman says that she arrived at the studio to model and found a note that apologized for her host's tardiness and requested that she be ready to model upon his arrival. When he showed up, he made unwelcome physical advances, and when she rejected him, he became angry and transformed into a hideous monster. Both the were-shark and the woman mention that a local courier service delivered the letters that brought them together. The courier service is staffed by the mother's minions, and when the PCs show up, they lure them to a water-filled basement where her fishmen servants are lying in wait. Ransacking the courier office yields papers referring to the son as the mistress's brat, as well as the mother's address. 
At the Wearshark's home, more fishmen keep the PCs busy while the mother bars the door, sets fire to the building, and flees. Existing, exiting the Inferno, the PCs follow alarms and watchmen to the city's prison where the mother is trying to free her son. They flee towards the sea, relying on their natural regeneration to ignore wounds and slowing pursuit with the mother's dark magic. If they aren't brought down before they reach the water, they will likely escape. The mother can be used as a powerful nemesis in further adventures, while the son will either follow in his mother's evil footsteps or become an ally if the PCs treated him well. So this is first date. <laughs> I, well, yeah. well, well. <laughs> I just got to say, uh, no offense, gnome stew writers, whichever one of you came up with that one, what were you on? <laughs> uh, yeah, so you got... Uh, you got a were mother and her were were shark mother and her were yeah, shark right. son, and they she wants political power, so she thinks the way to get it is to uh, have her brother or son or I forget son who's really son, a younger but, brother, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, be hypnotized and like made to be aggressive and attack people mm. and kill them. Somehow that's going to further her political <laughs> campaign. And uh, when you find out that he doesn't know what's going on and they don't know what's going on, you trace mm -hmm. them back to the, you know, fishmen and then to the mother's house where fishmen keep you busy while she burns you and the fishmen down trying to, right? And then you chase them and uh, possible future nemesis or few and right, right. and or future ally. <laughs> what do you think about this one, Adam? Would you ever, what would you do with this one in a campaign you were running? Right. Um, so, so there, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like uh, there's a lot happening and, um, I feel like it may be too much, like too many details for me. I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't flip through Eureka and immediately feel like, oh, that's the one, like, this is the one that's going to make the table like love this tonight, you know, kind Unless of thing. Unless you but, were like in some kind of C campaign and right. you had something like this in mind, which it's still surprising to me that where sharks would attack in apartments instead of right, like yeah, at the yeah. dock. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, I think it is sal salvageable for me. Um, I think I may toss the where shark out, you know, like the, I think I would maybe ditch that and par partially because I just don't like, I don't like it. Um, like that idea <laughs> of a monster. Um, though maybe that's how you make a monster fresh is use something that, like that. But um, I, I think something you could use a different thing that may feel better. Like you could go with a werewolf and ditch the whole thing about them, like trying to flee to the water. Cause really that's the only thing that matters to me. And that is like the, the end result of them trying to get away into the water. But I kind of like the idea of, fleeing not being the thing that it ends with anyway um i i look at either um not looking for a stand-up fight either with this but uh almost like the mother when she found her out at the end like okay take me to jail i can still run things from there or like her plans trying to be fulfilled without them because they lose everything if they go to the ocean and disappear right I feel like someone who's trying to collect that power would say, okay, I'm taking a loss this time, but the long term, there's going to be gain kind of deal. But if everybody knew she was now a wear shark, right. what's her future in politics? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, 
I guess it depends on the kind of game because I mean, more and more, I feel like it's like weird creatures are part of. It, it kind of depends true. on what you do, but like you know these games where uh, Dragonborn and which aren't even that weird to people anymore, but like or even things that you typically would think of as like evil monsters. Oh, I did it. I did it. I did the air quotes. Um, the, uh, <laughs> said he not going to. To. um, so that's my one time the, uh, we'll you see. know, or like goblins or whatever that you typically wouldn't see as like a party member, but they're like in, in cities and stuff. Now that may not be as big of a deal as it was, you know, kind of thing. I guess it depends on the game, but I I think there's some things where I would want to I would just want to pull some of those pieces out because as I was even reading that I'm like man now now she's like lighting the building on fire and now there's this chase scene you know it's just there's a lot there so I don't know I and know it you, kind of forces your characters to kind of do things in the order they said which we always right, are right. are proponents of as GMs don't feel like you have to stick to the rails you know feel right. like you can take parts of this use parts of this for me and this just this is something you can think about as a gm for me what this did was this immediately turned into a comedic a little uh fun thing because okay so i've had a campaign was it the current campaign i think it was current campaign dor dormant mind uh, current campaign as in the current one i'm running not the current one i'm playing uh we had a character who was uh what, what is, was he a sumner uh brandon he changes mm -hmm. into animals anyway druid, druid. they they were druid and uh he was in uh in this uh area where there was water and he turned into a shark and the joke the standing joke was he kept coming up and biting people's underarms i don't know how <laughs> that became a joke everybody at the table's like oh you you know bit the underarm and critically and whatever mm -hmm. and it, it became it's like such a long-standing thing that the first time i heard shark here i would be like okay you guys find like these corpses and they're just they're bitten in the underarm area and uh, i would just leave it at that and see how long <laughs> it took them to come up with shark yeah uh, that's the only thing that came to mind and the only uh, reason i bring that up is there are some things that you can uh grab a joke from the past and uh, sprinkle pieces of that in right. just to to give your characters this familiarity and it, at your table that's going to become a laugh and that's going to become something that is yeah. a bit memorable that's the only place i would use a wear shark <laughs> because we've had that <laughs> shark encounter where this guy turned into a shark and kept right. biting people's underarms and uh such an odd place to bite someone and yet yeah, he did and that's that's where i would use this but uh yeah, I don't know. Not much about the rest of this grabbed me. And so part of being a GM is also knowing that sometimes you read character encounter books and you're like, nah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that would be one of these for me. I'd be like, mm, no. I, I mean, I could find other things that either dealt with political intrigue or dealt with you know, a monster mother right. who was like trying, I, there was just nothing in this one that grabbed me beyond that joke. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so sometimes you're going to, you're going to come across that as a GM. Know that that's okay. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously you do know that's okay. Uh, you, you probably haven't been grabbed by every single thing you've read, but uh, that's yeah. part of it too, is as a GM, sometimes you're going to read lots of little starters and ideas and be like, mm, no, mm -hmm. next. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and I think this idea of starters, like that idea, even with this is there, are, I was saying there's a lot, but I think there were multiple times where if I read a section and then stopped, I would have been pretty happy. Like, okay, you have a mother and a son who are 
trying to get political injury, like trying to get political power. Stop. What, Stop. what could we do with that kind of thing? Or, okay, there's a situation where these women are showing up to be models and they're being attacked. Stop. Like, what, what could we do with that? Cause I, I really right. like the idea of like clues and mystery and it's not, it's sometimes it's hard because especially the bigger the party you get, there's not as much maybe to do in those kind of realms. But I do think like searching out some clues and figuring some things out is kind of a fun piece. So. And what was lost in this one for me, once I heard the wear sharks, like my brain just kind of went off <laughs> offline, but uh, the idea that, yeah, at first it could look like the sun is the monster, the sun or the whatever son or brother, I got him really confused in my head, whatever he is, you know, he's your bad guy. But then you get these clues that, oh no, these letters were just sent to me. They tried to get a hold of me. And then they're like, no, these letters were sent to me. And then you start to put together your characters, start to do investigation and skill checks and whatever. Uh, and they begin to put together that there's uh, another party. And then you find out who that is and that all plays out. So yeah, that investigation part could be uh, a good idea. Letting go of some, maybe the other parts. <laughs> So don't let sharks throw you off. You, you ever heard the term, he jumped the shark? That's what they did in this book. They just <laughs> jumped the shark. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if you don't know what that is, go back, look up Happy Days, Fonzie, jump the shark. You'll nice. figure it out. If, uh, if you're in the chat, you know, we've got a few people there or later on, or maybe on our socials, let us know what's your favorite were creature. I, and if if you have something other than wolf or evidently shark, I'm going to be like, where did you ever hear of this weird creature? So. And if it's shark, I'm sorry. <laughs> if it's shark, we're sorry. All right. Hey, let's get into our main topic of the day, and that is the uh, physical world and map making, uh, world building stuff. Uh, so, Adam, I'm going to let you lead this one as we kind of launch the world building sessions. There's yeah. lots of sessions about world. Uh oh, we, we've got a... a a were tiger in the tiger. comments. Yeah. Were tiger. Again, I never have heard of a were tiger. But that actually sounds a lot more cool than a were shark. Were dragon. <laughs> were dragon. Yeah. Oh my. All those things. Uh see, okay. I just got to stay on this for just a minute. So when I when I think of monsters, when I thought of like uh remember the creature from the Black Lagoon? So that was like a person who was like fish and person, but I guess they didn't change, right? I guess the whole where thing is they change mm. from like human to whatever. So it's that idea of the changing. Right, yeah. So, oh man, wow. look at this. Our, 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 our commenters are coming back with all kinds of stuff. So I'm just going to say, I have never been a big where person. <laughs> Evidently there are where things out there. I, I like where rats, where rats. I they're, actually have heard of where rats. They're, they're like, uh, just, I don't know. Just trash creatures that make you trash sick creature. <laughs> no offense to any were rats out there, but um, or yeah, this, any this trash creatures. Trash creatures, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen the were dragon. That sounds crazy to me. Um, but like the were tiger, I was Rob saying he used it like a rock. rock I never can say rock it shot. right. The rock shot. Um, yeah, that that would be interesting to see. That I think that's a really cool creature too. Trash panda. <laughs> All right, so. Um, before, world building, yeah, map this, making. Map Talk making, to us, Adam. Building. So um, <laughs> we're going down a uh, uh, like a several um, episodes 
uh, in a row that are, are going to be about like just the idea of, of world building and like, how do you flesh out the world that you're playing in, um, that you're going to like present to your, um, your players and to drop your game into and all these things. And, uh, so that's going to happen for a while, just talking about all, all sorts of things and how, how you can kind of look into those things, um, and develop it as it goes. But, um, to start off, we're, we're just talking today about, uh, kind of the map and the physical world and how we tend to go about that and maybe some ideas about how how you can can look at those things to really and like form the story or uh to give yourself like space to play and to to develop as it goes so um that's kind of the idea of today of like how we go about that and um you know for matthew for you like just to kind of start do you tend to think in terms of uh like i'm gonna start like drawing something physically or i know that you've done some stuff on on the computer you know for like a map or do you tend to think more um about the pieces of that map and like what could go before you start kind of getting a look to the thing do you have a one or the other that you tend to do no <laughs> i do both uh mm -hmm. it's not one or the other when i first started i remember uh, the very first campaign, I think it was the first campaign I ran, uh, I got this uh, program called Fractal World Builder, I think mm. it was. And uh, it basically would, you would put in some parameters and it would build a topological world and then you could raise or lower the water and, oh, and, wow. uh, and do stuff like that. Uh, and I remember I, I started with a piece of land and I lowered the water and, you know, I was just messing with parameters and, you know, when I raised the water and when you raise it, uh, certain parts of the land that were land got covered. And so then it looked like a continent with a couple extra little pieces around it. And that's what I did. And that's what I used. And it was cool looking. I mean, it looked like a topographical map you would yeah. find in an atlas. Mm -hmm. uh, it looked very realistic. Uh, and the fact that when I raised the water up, you got you know, a couple little islands then off of the main coast. All I was looking at was one continent and I was, yeah. I was just thinking, where can I put my world? And then I looked at it and I'm okay. According to the, you know, topographicalness of this map, you know, these mountain areas aren't going to be as inhabited uh, right. down here by the water. These are going to be the most inhabited. This is really heavy woods here, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and I just kind of built something. Uh, I didn't yeah. really have an idea in mind mm -hmm. later. Uh, when I, ran later campaigns, I typically started more with the idea of what I was going to be telling, what story I was going to be telling. And then that began, that informed the map making more so. Right. Um, so I'm just going to give you a couple examples of that uh, to kind of kick us off here. So in Blood of the Kings, I did one that was built around nine moons and i have talked about this one on this podcast before this idea that there was like a stonehenge type place and each of these big stone pillars was a gate uh right. a, a teleportation gate to one of the moons because i wanted each of these moons to have super different uh environments because i wanted to be able to fight in some of the some very crazy different environments so they were very yeah. memorable uh and uh with different power structures on them and different uh, ecologies and all right. that kind of thing. And so my main world map was not very big. Uh, I had, I had like you guys woke up in, I can't even remember what the place was now. I think it was like a monastery or something. Prison, and, uh, I think. 
it was it was under attack, and yeah. you guys oh, were yeah. spirited out uh, through like a secret tele yeah, I mean secret secret tunnel, right. and you you ended up coming to this basically this teleportation circle uh, of different you know the different entrances to the moons and uh, you began exploring those. And so in that one, uh, there was not much of a world map. It was more localized. When you went to a moon, it had like a, you know, a look and a feel about it, but I didn't have right. like continents and stuff like that on this moon because moons are typically smaller. Uh, I didn't really plan uh, much more than like very separate things. And so there was no big world map in that one. Right. Uh, the one I'm in now, the Dormant Mind, it had, uh, as part of the whole story, uh, it was very important that there be seven kingdoms. And part of that was there were seven old gods, and each of these old gods was one of the kingdoms. Uh, and so I knew I wanted to have seven kind of very distinct areas uh, right. that could be, you know, not necessarily continents, but like parts uh, that had their own kingdom. I also knew that the current... Um, emperor had tried to carve out an eighth kingdom, which he made uh, the ruling kingdom and uh, Kilgori. And that's in the center, which he carved out of the other seven. So in my mind, I knew uh, that I was going to have major areas of continents. And I also knew that I wanted to have two main continents uh, so that um, the uh, East Varan, West Varan, and the Strand, which you're not in the game, so you don't know about those, but those were on their own continent and often overlooked as far as the main power structures of the world. Uh, but that's where our character, our main character started. So they started in more of a backwater place, but those had some very deep, deep uh, kind of story and uh, historical elements in them as far as like right. the gods. Um, so even though they weren't as important politically, they're more important, not maybe not more important, but they're deeply important uh, in the, um, the, the realm of, of the workings of the gods and stuff like right. that. And then there's uh, the other four, uh, Ramansat, Telashiri, uh, Yulueth, and uh, Lopeka, the ice, you know, up north. And then, of course, this eighth one that the, that the guy was carving out, Kagori. Uh, these all were part of the main, main continent. And so the whole world had two main continents, but with these kingdoms. And so in my mind, as I was developing the story, I was also trying to develop the map. And the way I did that was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, there are lots of ways I've done maps, uh, and we're going to talk about ways you might build world yeah. maps as far as like just getting an idea for what to draw. With this one, I actually just went online and I began looking at real maps and just pictures of maps everywhere I could find them. And I found one that was the shape I was kind of thinking. And then I took it into Photoshop and I scrubbed everything off of it and put my own uh, division lines and names uh, everywhere. For me, one thing that makes uh, a world really cool and believable are the names. Um, mm -hmm. Don't underestimate your names. And so as I uh, began looking at the main features of my world maps, I put uh, mountain, you know, m mountain ranges in there uh, with Photoshop. I I, it is nice to know how to kind of do what you want in Photoshop, although I'm sure there's other map making uh, 
platforms that are really easy and cool for people who aren't Photoshop people. I happen to have been a graphic design artist at one time in my life and used Photoshop a great deal. So uh, I could raise mountains and forests wherever I wanted, the power of the gods. Uh, so I put in mountain ranges and, and forests, and I wanted those to feel super real. And so I went looking at like just names uh, of of mountain ranges and rivers. And uh, so I made actually like this whole list of mountain range names and this whole list of river names and this whole list of forest names. And of course, uh, some of those I, I would mash together names. You know, I, I don't want to use something that's like the Andes peaks, you know, I don't want to yeah. use something that is like so, so recognizable that people are like, what? Right, oh yeah, right. that's like in the real world. Uh, and so I would take names though that sounded very real from real names uh, i would try to find ones that were unknown to me uh, because they're more likely to be unknown to my people as well my players and then i would you know use those uh in the in the map itself and i'm sitting here trying to think of i remember the ramansat peaks because they were part of the of ramansat yeah <laughs> uh, which yeah. was one of the continents uh, I had another couple sets of, of mountains. I don't have the map in front of me, <clears throat> but I, I, I could pull up here all these names that I had for, you know, forests and for uh, yeah. like ancient forests uh, right. within the, you know, the deep, heavy forest within the, the broader forest. And uh, Russell, Gr Glithmere, like all, all, I remember all these and that the names yep. do and definitely L matter. And, yeah. yeah, for sure. And so. Uh, I think names, you know, names can make a big difference. You you start by naming your big, your big areas, your big continents. For me, I knew they were going to be traveling to all seven continents because they had to, to gather these seven stones of power. This, uh, by the way, I did all this before there was ever the infinity stones, which they get compared to a lot, but they're, <laughs> they're not necessarily those. Uh, but they had to, I knew they were going to travel to all these places uh, getting these. And so... Uh, I started with these continent names and I started by trying to think how can each continent be very different from the others? You know, so the strand is all desert uh, and it's a, it's a thin, you know, and it, and it works. Uh, East and West Varan are probably the two that have the, the least difference in them because they're, mm -hmm. uh, they're so close and they used to be one total, right. uh, one total kingdom, but they, they were divided into two. But uh, Ramansat looks very different. It's very uh, peninsula, islands, mountainous. Mm -hmm. uh, you get to Telashiri. It's uh, built on the edge of the world. It's a, it's a water, very water-based world, right. mostly. Uh, Yulaweth is the land of the giants, and everything's huge in it. Lopeka, or Lokepa is the uh, kingdom to the north that's all frozen. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, it was neat. it's neat for me to think what's going to be different in these different places uh, that will make my uh, my player characters feel like they're in very different places. Right. So, again, all this getting back to story uh, led me in the design uh, mm -hmm. that I was looking for uh, of those. Um, there have been other ways that we've done, and we'll probably talk about some of those. There's the rice method, the bean method, or the dice method. We'll, we're going to talk about all yeah, that yeah, yeah. later. But uh, just kind of stopping there and kind of throwing it back to you, Adam, yeah, how yeah. have you done this in your games? Because you've uh, you've run several games that have been small, some smaller, some mm -hmm. larger, some world-spanning. How do you right. do this? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the short answer, similar to what you were saying, is like over time it's been yes <laughs> you know like with there, there's whether it's coming from a 
I'm going to build a physical world or I'm going to have some story. Like it kind of depends for me. Um, and I wouldn't even say there's been a, there's not been like an evolution of, well, I used to do this and now I do this. It's like back and forth, depending on what kind of, I think what kind of story and maybe kind of what kind of headspace I'm even in at the time. Um, uh, or even the reuse of worlds, but, um, that's Kinda. one that, that you've done more than I have that I think is interesting. We should talk about it a little yeah, bit here yeah, is the reuse sure. of worlds. Yeah. 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 I, I, I do want to come, I, I do want to come back to that. Uh, I was going to pull back for a minute, just like with that kind of philosophy and you were talking about even going for the dormant mind of seeing like maps kind of looking through that and then using that. And I, I do think, you know, if you're, somebody who's uh, maybe you have made a lot of worlds or you're like, I'm brand new to this. I'm going to do this. Uh, like there are a lot of ways to go about this. I mean, um, there are pre-made worlds out there that uh, like, if you're like, I do not want to make my own world. Mm -hmm. I am terrified of that. Or I don't want to, I don't have the time to do that. I want to run a game and worry about the story stuff. I mean, there are there are like official things like uh i think of like uh greyhawk for D, &D you know is a right. pretty i think that's i think that is the traditional world there's other forgotten realms and uh eberron and things like that but um and they have like lore and all this stuff you can go as deep or as not deep as you want to um and you can that, always pick a uh, corner of yeah. their pre-made map, zoom way in right. and be like, mine's happening in the Moonshay Isles. Yeah, like, this uh, is where this is happening. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, you know, Pathfinder has uh, Galarian. I think I'm saying that right. Um, that's kind of their version of that. It's the world that that, that mostly gets played in. Um, so there's there's stuff like that where, you know, you can um, you can just grab that and go and that there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, I think you can also, uh, grab the real world and take like a lot of influence from that kind of depends on what you're doing. There may be some meta stuff with that, but a thing I think is really interesting even to do, and I, I don't know if it's exactly what you were saying, Matthew, but like pull up a world map, mess around, like, look, oh, that's an interesting thing. And even if you like zoomed in, grabbed a piece, flipped it a couple times, you know, to make it not so recognizable, like you have a pretty good map there that you can make use of and uh that doesn't require a ton of work but it could be like super interesting to start building from if you're like i don't really want to get into that but if you're if you're like i really want to build this and i think there is a um there's something to be said for that of i think there's some ownership maybe and some like creativity that gets kind of weld up when you're making your own thing and it's like okay this is the reason this is here i can build story around this I do think that when we do that, it, it adds an element for us as creators. And even as like Eric said, you know, several episodes back that like prep is play, like as the GM, you get to play, you get to play in the sandbox a little bit and like build those things. So there's all kinds of ways, but um, yeah, for me, um, I've done both and all, not all, but like a lot of things where, um, so my first campaign, um, which I don't think I ever named, was a was a map I just drew. Um, and I, I had come from the WAV game we've talked about a lot, particularly that was a that was a map that had been built over time. And I got to come in at the end of that and see like, oh, man, all this stuff's been fleshed out and we get to play in this. 
So I was kind of using that as an example when I made my map and um, I've got to tell several stories with it. Um, I kind of started small and then I, I have like this big piece of paper that is all folded up. We actually are back in that world now um, for the game I'm running. But uh, that was more of a like, this is the shape I want to go with of this continent. Here's where I think some cool mountains would be. Here's a giant lake. Here's a forest. You know, like I kind of just played in that and it was like a creative process for me of building what I thought looked cool and, and then adding story to that. Um, that that's how I treated that one, uh, at the first, at least. Um, but then there were things that were brought in story-wise and that's going to be another talk, but like, as the party did things or wanted things, or as the story developed, more things appeared. Um, so that, that was a cool part of that, but there's other ones where, it definitely was story um, oriented. Um, I did a campaign that was the gate of Hammernell and the whole thing was, there was this huge wall. Um, if anyone ever played the game Guild Wars, there was definitely a influence from the great Northern wall that's part of that game. But basically there was a giant wall that was uh, separating civilized land from the wilderness where the monsters were. And, um, the party was planted at Hammernell, which was basically a fortification on that wall. And it was like a gate to the wild. So I knew that I wanted to plant it there. And that kind of, that built the, the world in a lot of ways where it's like, okay, I need wilderness and like these types of things that is untamed land. I also need like a kingdom out here or several kingdoms that, have been built in in safety on the other side of the wall. And like that, that definitely like the idea is what fashioned the world more than the world being fashioned and then bringing an idea into it kind of thing. So I definitely have done all sorts of those things. Um, and I think both are equally a value, you know, it's kind of like where you're wanting to come through, um, come from with that. Yeah. I think another thing that I think, for me matters and maybe for you and your party mm -hmm. is the look of the map so when i did my first that fractal map it looked more like what you would open an atlas and see if you were looking right. like a picture from space mm -hmm. but uh, i quickly kind of decided i didn't want those kinds of maps as mm -hmm. much i wanted one that looked more like a fantasy map and so i oh, remember yeah. looking at like you know c.s lewis's maps of narnia which were very you know small and like hand-drawn but like the way he drew the mountains and you know right. whatever uh, and then i i would look at other fantasy maps and begin to think what is it that i want that look to look so here let me just uh i'm gonna try and uh share <laughs> just a couple pictures of maps here at least uh starting with one if i can find uh, for anyone this, listening i'm gonna probably put stuff like this up on instagram too on, and twitter so you can check it there as well right so i'm gonna try and share i don't know if i can share this screen let's just see <laughs> oh yeah i can okay so here we go uh you can see uh this map the way let's see if i can even zoom in on that for people here uh this is actually the the varan east and west varan and the strand you can see the strand to the left over there that that that's the the sandy part that is the desert and then there is uh 
Uh, let me get over onto this. Whoops, I lost my my mouse. <clears throat> get back on here. Uh, over here, this is uh, West Varand, and over here is East Varand. They look very similar with this dividing line. So this was one uh, that I pulled up, uh, and I could uh, pull up the map that was you know, before any words were on here, just to show you what this looked like. Actually, I might do that since I've got the ability to. Here, we'll pull up, uh, we'll open this and see if uh, it opens in here. Yeah, it does. All right, so here was the map uh, before, when I took all the stuff off of it, um, you can see that, oh no, this actually has words on it. Up here, uh, I had pulled off a bunch. Uh, can you see that okay on there, Adam? And I'm assuming maybe not. Uh, yeah, I can. But, I can see it. Okay. Yeah. So you can see here. Uh, I put on some little buildings, and mm -hmm. I just uh, copied and pasted them. And uh, I had taken off most of the names. I this was where I had just started putting on some here uh, as they were coming up the coast. But down here, uh, you can see in Varan, I had put in all this stuff. Uh, again, I put these words in here. These were names I came up with, the Bressel Forest, the Eldwood, Kale Fall being the, the capital here, and Cotswold where they started. Uh, and uh, for me, uh, if you just look at this map, this was the look I wanted to go for. It looks very much like something you would see in a book uh, right. at the beginning uh, of the, you know, of a fantasy book. Uh, the places where you have water and the woods and the mountains, the way they looked. And uh, so for me, it was very much the way here. I'll go ahead and take that off. We don't need all that on there. Uh, but like the way a map looked. And if you're not on YouTube right now, you can go to YouTube and check this out. But we'll also have this on our socials. There are lots of ways uh, that a map can look, but it's going to like, as soon as you show that to your players the first time, it's going to put them in a mind space. Right. And uh, I think the way that you have that look, as well as the names you use, as well as, you know, how you go about using, whether it's one you found um, that's somewhere in the world. And so one of the things that uh, uh, one of the people commenting on here said, or sometimes you can use your GM's map. And I'm going to go ahead and talk about Josh here for a moment. So I uh, had this entire map. Uh, and I used it in our game. He was getting ready to start a campaign with some other people. And he's like, I need a map. I'm going to use that map that Matthew mm -hmm. had. And uh, I do think that one of the cool things about gaming, uh, GMing, is you, most people are okay putting, when they put stuff online, it's because they want to show you what they've done and they're okay you taking and using that. Uh, sometimes they'll say, hey, you know, at least credit me if you do that. I don't even need the credit because uh, <laughs> it's not that big a deal for me. But uh, you can do that too. You can like uh, find a map that somebody else made that is great and maybe already has all the names and towns on it. And you can say, okay, how can I make my story fit in this place? Mm -hmm. All right, yeah. we're going to use the name Varan. We're going to use the name Kalefall, and I'm just going to make that stuff right. in my in my game, um, and that can be done too. Yeah, I uh, um, so Matthew, you know this, but like I took a lot of painting classes in college, and uh, there's a lot of stuff where you know when you're, you're doing painting. I guess it depends on what you're doing, but there, there's like an underpainting process. And then there's kind of a, the broad strokes, you know, um, it, that gets used. I think that's a pretty known term. Like let's use broad strokes here, but then getting more detailed. I, I definitely find myself in that realm when making 
the like map or like thinking about like what makes up the world. That's kind of, I feel like I tend to go in that realm of, I'm going to get real, the underpainting is like, okay, here's the shape of the world or the continent or whatever. Here are some, start filling in some broad strokes of like the elements of a mountain range or a, a river or a town. Here's where they're going to like start, you know, those kind of things. And then the details even coming later, uh, whether that's like, again, that collaboration with a character who like in the game I'm in now, it's like, I've talked to you about, okay, what's, what's this town that you're from, you know, and like, where may that fall? Or, uh, Josh who's in the chat, you know, like talking to him about, okay, he's from the underdark. What's the city he's from. And like us having some communication about that. That's not stuff that I like sat down day one and was like, okay, I need to have this drow city and I need to know where Eliakim's family's from. You know, th those weren't right things that I was thinking about, but I, it's important to me and it's important, I think to the players to like bring in that stuff. So, um, that's like a way I think of it is that like, what's the under underpainting, what's the broad strokes, what's the detail that gets added little by little in that. And I, I wondered kind of going, this is more for my information, but you know, so we started the first group that started the dormant mind, we were in the Varans, mostly West Varan the majority of the time I'm trying to remind myself, is that true? West Varan, um, yes. getting my directions correct. Uh, and you had all that marked out, but then you showed the map with nothing. Was that a thing where it developed as we went on or did you kind of have that in your mind even when we weren't up there? Like what did that kind of look like for you? So for me, like I said, when I started this, I knew I was going to have the seven kingdoms and the one carved out. So I, I already had that idea in mind. And I think on that map, which I've already taken it down, uh, I had the kingdoms marked. Okay. Or like the, the dividing lines. I didn't have any names on them. I knew where those kingdoms were going to be, uh, but I didn't know. There was a lot of stuff that was added as we went yeah. along. And okay. uh, it's like as you zoom in, you know, it you think of a like when you first load up a picture on the computer of a, of a detailed map you see the uh, the big part and then it like gets more and more detail as, as it loads right. uh, until it's all really sharp but like even in varan like uh idrisel where you guys left the via the lighthouse uh to go to ramansat that place wasn't there uh, mm. i knew that you were going to go somewhere to the coast I didn't know where exactly. I knew I had a name of city or a list of city names, and Idrisel was one of them. <laughs> I knew yeah. it was going to be a name I used. As you guys were leaving the Hags, I think, and the Eye King, uh, you were told about Idrisel. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I put it on the map uh, before that next encounter. And right. I put it there and got some pictures for it. And uh, then uh, as you went, you know, on up, uh, if you'll remember, there was the, the battle in the heart for the heart of the purple worm and that, that wasn't there. Obviously that right. I, I placed that in later and there were, there were things that I placed. I had the, the, the big parts. Mm -hmm. And then as we go and the story develops, there were things that came up that I didn't even plan, uh, as far as along this journey, even though I knew the overarching, overarching, uh, yeah. story, right. um, I, you know, that's going to take the paths of that kind of weave differently. And, and I place stuff as we go. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. 
Yeah, I, I do think you, you had said something earlier about um, the just that, like having that image kind of solidifying things for players. And I, I wanted to come back to that because I, I do think that's a really do, do you need a map? I guess you could probably get by with not right. Like if that that was not the way your table functions, that's cool, you know. And um, but I do think there's something like really just it's maybe it's part of my type of fun, but it's gripping to to see that like okay, it's the discovery. <laughs> it's my discovery thing yeah. is like in my immersion of like okay, I'm a part of this world and what's over the next hill what's in those mountains like what what's below the eaves of the forest i want to know these things and um I, I think even if that's not like uh your typical like man that really is what what grabs me i think even just seeing that we like that in video games we like in books you know i i saw somebody the other day was like hey let's bring back and normalize like we always have a map in these books so we can follow along with where we're at and um i, yeah. I think that's a good idea rob, rob says here lists of names are the way to go and i was thinking that too when you said that of uh, i think that's a good point you you mentioned a while ago of just like having the npc names always at hand like okay if i need to whip out a name it's here and i i would assume that's what you're saying too and i i agree like have some names of cities even if it's or like that settlements or those kind of things, even if it's like, I don't know where they're at on the map, this could come up, you know, kind of thing if it does that. So that's a, that's a good point, Rob. Um, the uh, tables, like that's another thing. Um, Eric brought that up like way back uh, when we talked to him, you know, of like tables being a thing that you could roll on. And I think that's, that's a way if you're kind of at a loss for like, okay, I kind of have like a continent here, but I don't really know what to do with it. Um, there's a lot of options out there for even that kind of stuff where it's like, I'm going to roll, I'm picking a point, I'm going to roll on a D100 table. Okay, there's a castle there, you know, like kind of, and then you can kind of like build from there. I think that's a really good way to even get yourself started, you know, if you if you're not really sure where to go. I cut you off. I think you're about to say something. No, I just thought I was going to agree with that. Uh, you said a few moments ago about like when you're reading a book and that that joy of your reading and you flip back to the front because you want to see right. exactly where I think players enjoy that also. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have it, but if you do, I think it's an added dimension. And right. uh, yeah. uh, if you can kind of keep updating that map as you go, whether it's hand drawn, whether it's on a computer, uh, <laughs> one you got from wherever, mm -hmm. uh, something about that makes it so that the mind can hold on to it uh, and track that progress. And when I'm reading a book and they're talking about it, I can visualize a lot. But when I go look at that map back and forth, it really does kind of solidify in my mind. And when I think back to that book long after reading it, my mind always flashes to the map. <laughs> and yeah, what yeah, happened right, where right. in that map. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that can help to um, no matter what, like I, I our focus kind of okay fantasy game campaign map like here's the world that you're in um but like even if you're doing something different maybe of like a like a modern game or uh, apocalyptic game or like we bring up red markets a lot we're eventually going to talk about that as a game hold your hats you know right now but the uh 
that's something where, you know, most of the, most of it, like Canon game is typically like set in the United States. And that's a thing where I, I just go in on Google maps and take right. a screenshot of, we we've done a lot where there was a bridge near Kansas city that several iterations of a game I've run have been there. And it's like just taking a shot of that and printing that out or sharing it digitally to the group, I think helped like just you, you find yourself a place in the world and it makes a little more sense. Like you make a little more sense of the space that you're in. Um, I think about like, maybe someone playing like a Delta green game or something that's more modern, which I haven't dabbled in as much of like, even if there's like a map of the town, you're doing all this stuff in whether you drew it out or it's something that you kind of like ripped. Um, those things do help just that, that sense of, of place and like my surroundings are just beginning to make a little more sense to me than um, just all of it being like in your brain too. So I've really enjoyed that of, it does help me to, to connect there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there's some methods of drawing maps that do not require a computer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know if I should talk much about those now I'm talking about rice and bean, or if we should wait till the haversack. Yeah. Because we, why don't right, we wait? Yeah, that question. We can, we can wait and get into that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, anything else on this uh, world building before we go on to our NPC and our haversack that you had? Um, I think maybe like uh, some something I want to toss out and hear what your philosophy is to uh, in that and I kind of meant to do that earlier, but then got away from it was um, like what what is like typically a part of your world or what's like never maybe a part of your world, you know, kind of thing. I think those, those questions can be asked, um, of trying to think about how, I'm, how I'm just the philosophy of like what's included. Um, because I was thinking about this this week and, and it's like, I think a good place even to start with, okay, let's say I've never, never made a map before, or maybe or a world or I'm, uh, maybe having a little bit of a creative block. I think a good place to start is just like, okay, what, what do we actually know? Like what's, what is our real world? What, what does the earth look like? You know, because I think um, depending on the thing and it is a fantasy game, but I think if we like throw out all laws of physics and like science and just say, you know, two plus two is green and the <laughs> sky smells like apples, you know, and, um, all this stuff, like, uh, there is going to be some loss of like, it's, it's the wear shark thing for me where it's like, this was too much. Like yep. half of this was good. And then I did just too many details. Um, I think we can do that where it's just like, okay, like everything is so nonsensical that I can't even, like process it enough to like play in this game. Um, and I, I don't feel like I've ever actually been in that, but I think th there's a principle there of like, we can be fantastical, but not be like undecipherable <laughs> of that. And so I think like starting with, okay, like what do we actually know is a good place to go. And then asking, okay, what makes this actually like a fantasy 
setting. And some of that's, I, I don't want to get into some of our other things, you know, but um, I do think that that all, that all melds together of, um, okay, magic is like a very powerful force in this. So are there spaces in my world that magic has actually molded or are uh, there's like a greater um, concentration of magic in that. And I, that, that can like inform that a little bit or uh, just even like the different types of races of creatures and things like that. Like how have they, again, we're getting into history, which is another conversation, but how have those like created settlements or like ruins that we're going to come across? And again, it's all melding, but those kind of principles I think are good to like kind of talk through. And I, I like to start with, okay, this is kind of what I know physically and how things work. How are things different? What's unique about this? And then like, we can kind of go from there. I, I, do you have any like kind of thought processes like that for you? Yeah. I, for me, it almost always starts very realistic. Mm. Okay. So I'm going to like, I'm going to have land uh, masses and my first thoughts are going to be like, okay, where are divisions uh, where different people rule? And for me, it's always also like what gods have sway uh, in right, these yeah. areas or like, you know, those sorts of things. I, I, those almost always come up in my game. So I'll talk, I'll, I'll think about those, uh, but I keep it. Okay. So like, I really like uh, reading fantasy but also urban fantasy something that seems like okay i know this really well but then all of a sudden there's like something unexpected and it's some magic in all of my worlds there's going to be some form of magic there's going to be uh some things that give it scale you'll find you know like in the, the dormant mind we had some places where there were uh, gigantic worms with gigantic swords stuck through them because mm. there were giants at one time. Although right. we don't see a ton of giants like to the size right. uh, that I showed, uh, you know, those were the 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 day ancient days of the past. Now the giants are they're big, but they're not that big. Right. Uh, there are you know things that teleport you from one to place to another. But when I'm starting with a world, what I'm typically thinking of are land masses, what's controlled politically, you know, by different factions, and you know where where does where do the gods exert influence? Those are the things I yeah. typically start with, and of course you're going to get races in there. I'm going to like look at these and uh, be like, okay, this is where you know there's a majority of monstrous races or orcs, or mm -hmm. this is where uh, everything's snowbound, so it's going to be like these kinds of creatures, right, right. yeah it's going to be very broad strokes like that. Um, for sure. But like you said, I keep it pretty familiar. So like in my backstory for the character, no, this is a different character. It's a character in, in a campaign that Josh actually ran. I think, uh, Tearlock Greg, he was, um, Eric Okra and he came from the plane of air. Uh, and so in the backstory, I talk about how there's like, there's, it's all air there in you know and there are occasional clumps of of 
what is it land <laughs> it's not land because right. it's all it's all flowing like it was like islands. so it's so uh foreign that it's really hard to picture and so i just mm -hmm. did it as a backstory part but i have a hard time playing in a place like that where there's like yeah, no right. ground and there is constant falling and flying and occasional right. bits of land that you can you know land upon but then you know Maybe yeah, that yeah, would be yeah. really hard to build a game around. So mm -hmm. uh, just kind of reiterating what you said, sometimes things can be too foreign. Yeah. Um, having said that, I, I will typically send my people to different planes. Uh, so in the dormant mind, I had you guys all go to the 570 sec. Yeah, I don't even remember what level of hell it was. <laughs> it was called Occipitus. And uh, you were on this place and I took very great care to try and give you a flavor of this place that almost felt like a giant flesh land you know there was like skin on the ground and yeah. uh, these putrid you know acid things and yeah. uh, and so like I, I tried to make it very uh immersive that you right. were in this place but that wasn't the place you were going to spend the whole campaign that was a right, place right. you went for a while then you come back but my my when I'm starting a world, it's typically very much our world yeah, and, yeah. and very much thinking of those boundaries and uh, going from there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I like that starting. Cause that, so there was a game I, I played um, here for uh, with some students for about a year. And what I, I took that, I just stole the world from the WAV game that we reference all the time. I just stole Onan but I threw it into the future from what that was and decided, okay, a giant cataclysm happened and I'm going to hand wave what that actually was. But, and again, this is like bad science, but that's okay. Cause it's a fancy world. It was like all the oceans have dropped out of, it was a flat world. All the oceans have dropped out of the world. They're gone. So all the oceans are now, man, I did it again. All the oceans are just now giant, like, thousand mile canyons, you know, and maybe there's something down there, maybe not. Um, and that was like a thing where to the players, it's like, they didn't know the old Onan, but like, even for me, freshening things up, it was like, okay, why do I do that? Well, I got in my mind, I wanted there to be a lot of like airship travel, which is not something I typically have, but I'm always like, drawn to for some reason. It's like just on the cusp of technology for me where it's like okay this is still pretty fantastical but it's moving that way but we're not quite to like robots and laser beams even though we are doing golems and eldritch blasts and things like that um but <laughs> and so i think why like there's a game upwind which i keep saying this but we're going to talk about upwind also probably have eric come back and talk about that that's a fun one where the canon game is like the airships and floating islands and things like that um love that game. But anyway, I, I did that. Like that was a choice for the world that was definitely story driven. Even if I didn't have all the details of the story, because it was like, I want there to be airships involved in this, not sea travel. Um, and even though it's similar, it's different. It has a different feel. Um, I want there to be some cosmological reasons that this is going on and like what is the world actually gonna involve um and that that was a thing for me even where it was like okay i have kind of a familiar thing but like i mean if that happened in like our if the oceans all disappeared like 
the world is not continuing, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's a problem, you know? And, uh, so I can do that in a fantasy world. For real people. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like, uh, I can do that in a fantasy world and like hand wave some things or make justifications for why this can, can continue. But, um, uh, that was, that was one of those situations of taking in something that felt a little more normal and, making it more fantastical and i think it worked well so you can do things like that you know just play um i i do think it's a sandbox to play in you know and to create together um and just want to encourage you all out there to like play around make your stuff if you don't like what you did start over you know and um it's an enjoyable process for sure Okay, yeah. tell you what, let's go on to our NPC. Yeah. We're going to get back into a little bit more map stuff when we hit the right. haversack here in just a second. Uh, but we are going to, uh, every time we drop an NPC that you could maybe drop into a game if you're just looking for a character. This one's called The Immortal Murderer. Uh, again, we didn't realize we were only using villains, but soon right. you're going to start to get <laughs> some true. of the virtuous people as well. This is still a villain, though, in case you couldn't tell by Immortal Murderer. Mm. Uh, but uh, his name is Mr. Rankins, all right? Or, yeah, Mr. Rankins. Uh, well, hello there, darling. Oh, so young, so pretty. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, life, life is precious. Don't, don't, not to be wasted. Don't even waste a single drop, even if it's from someone else. That's even better, right? Come closer, my dear. Uh, so this is some of the stuff you might say. This is uh, Mr. Rankins. He's bald. Heavy lines on his brow and around his mouth. His clothes are slightly out of date. Uh, a bag of sweets can be seen in his coat pocket, and his bare flesh, if it's seen, is covered with tattoos of archaic symbols. Uh, he smiles and laughs sometimes at the most inappropriate times. Uh, he loves to help young mothers who are in need, and he offers small sweets to their children. When cornered, though, he will transform into a vicious killer. His personality is he's eerily cheery at all times. Um, Nothing shocks or startles him, nothing. And at times his behavior appears inhuman and odd. Uh, his only concern is to find, and this is where you find out he's a villain, if you didn't already know, to find, kidnap, and kill children. That's his sole purpose. Uh, he wants to drain their vibrant lives from their bodies in order to extend his own because he has found a way to do that. Hmm. Background. Rankins was once a miserly sage, pinching every penny so that one day he might call himself wealthy. Before that day came, though, he fell greatly and gravely ill. Lying quiet and alone on death's bed, he realized that his life had gone by pretty much unlived. He had done nothing in this life. And suddenly, remembering a text of Dark's rituals that had uh, that he had begun to translate, he managed to bumble his way through a rite and cast it on himself, only later to learn what it did to him, what the consequences of that were. And so uh, basically, it seems as though he's cast something evil upon himself that allows him to extend his own life by draining it from uh, those with a lot of life. And so thus, he goes after children more than anybody else. And so he's uh, this kind of weird, eerie dude uh, who is constantly trying to help uh, single women with children, mm. and then the children go missing. And uh, so uh, that's a guy. Yeah. And... Uh, quite a character how you would drop him into your campaign adam any ideas on how you might use him in a campaign or how you might drop him into right something? yeah that that's some grim dark stuff right there um it is. 
The, and again, uh, it's hard to find these these villainous characters to run across them and not want to correct it and turn it into an encounter, right? Yeah, right. Uh, again, yeah. sometimes you're going to just have a uh, an NPC that you can just be like, hey, I need somebody who's like a seamstress and here's something she's doing. Mm -hmm. All of these ones we've been doing, uh, because we didn't realize we were taking them from like the, the villainous mm -hmm. <laughs> batch, uh, they all seem like something that's going to require some sort of action on yeah. the heroes this one probably would too yeah. but thoughts yeah. yeah um i think this definitely like i i probably wouldn't like put him directly in the path of uh maybe they would meet him but um the thing more would be like the results of what he's doing i think would be the start if i was going to use him as like an antagonist in the game um, and that that would be i would choose this mr rankins for uh rankins mr rankins for rankins. that like it, it definitely would be for the purpose of okay this is going to be a minor antagonist probably minor um but they would they would start hearing about the the like results of you know and again this is this is dark stuff but like children have gone missing children have been found killed um the that's like the tr the kind of hook is the result of what's going on and then maybe they would be like well we're gonna figure out what's happening here or maybe somebody's asking could you please help you know we think there's a we think there's a monster out there coming into town doing this and you find out the monster is actually this guy um, in town, kind of thing, in town. Yeah. um by the way we watched uh rudolph the red-nosed reindeer last night and it was written by someone Rankin, Al Rankin, Mr. Rankins. Interesting, Mr. Rankins. Watch <laughs> Mr. Out. Rankins. Uh, it was him. <laughs> I I think this could be a cool. This is like totally not probably the way it would normally go, but um, this would be a good like uh, bard telling a story in a tavern or somebody around a campfire telling you know like like a rumor or even like a a story being told i think that could be like an interesting thing that maybe later you could pull in some it could be like a foreshadowing of something like it or this actual problem that's happening but uh like it just seems like a it seems like a campfire story to me where that could come out like in a you know you're traveling with a caravan and overnight you're around the fire with all these people and the guy brings out his his lute and starts singing a song about Mr. Rankins, the you know the immortal killer kind of thing. Even that name, um, watch out, kids, Mr. Rankins. Is yeah, coming. yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> so that I think I could set a scene, you know, too. And I think out of any of the people we've talked about, that that feels like more of that kind of thing for me. Yeah, and then like sometime you could end up meeting a Mr. Rankin and. and uh, might be weird if the name is like too quickly too similar yeah, right <laughs> but, uh, meet him and not know this is really true yeah yeah kind of thing. for sure yeah uh it would be an interesting thing but again this would require a whole you know a whole uh branch for my heroes to go down to stop this guy if i were actually to drop him in right. in this form uh even if there was a story and then you ended up meeting him later, it would require some sort of action. So yeah, yeah. Uh, not necessarily just somebody you drop in. If you just need like a quick NPC, this is not a quick NPC. This is an NPC that's going to require some, some handling. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's get to our haversack. We'll go on. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on our encounter and our NPC this week. They were both a little 
a little odd, <laughs> but <laughs> let's hit that haversack. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we got two questions this week. Uh, uh, Rob, who I think is still in the chat, got us one in here. So thank you, Rob, for doing that. Uh, it's good to hear from you. Um, he says this. Uh, Hello, Matthew and Adam. As GMs with a lot of campaigns under your belts, how have you handled encounters that just went off the rails bad? Meaning ones that players found boring or frustrating. For instance, being trapped in an extra dimensional tent and being nearly decimated. Keep up the good work, Rob. I just want to say something, and Rob's on here, so you can know this. There has been very few moments in a campaign that have been mentioned more than the time we were almost uh -huh. killed by a tent. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> I think in my life, the only time I've mentioned one more is when I was killed by a bush in my first <laughs> encounter. Uh, so uh, you may think, oh, how do you handle something that just went off the rails? But that was something that we all remembered, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those sorts of fights where we almost died by a yeah. by the hand of a tent the hand of a tent the uh, rope of a tent I think it was the rope um <laughs> and i i would say this too i definitely i know it's been a long time but i would not look back at that and think boring or frustrating it was like right this is crazy you know so i, I had a good time with that but um that question being handled encounters that just went off the rails bad um i have had encounters where I expected there to be a fight that we either didn't get to. And it just was like people like doing these long bits of role playing where they just kind of go off the rails and I I'm like doing my best. And it's just like, it feels like the, the night is just lost. There have been times <laughs> where, uh, I have just like, I think we we've, we've done this one before. It's like, uh, something kicks in the door, roll dice, you know, uh, because I just needed to get them out of this, like, yeah. mundane slogging right. through like things that didn't even matter uh and i just needed some action that has sometimes worked there have been times where i've gotten to the end of the night and it's just like i didn't do anything to redeem it i'm like i'm sorry guys that was bad <laughs> and they're generally like hey man you know thanks for running it yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah. that lets me know yeah it was bad but you know what we like you we appreciate you <laughs> and uh mm -hmm. and uh those uh those sometimes those sometimes happen. <laughs> Hopefully very few, few of those happen. Have you ever had any that have just gone off the rails so bad, Adam? I'm trying to think. Um, I feel like I, as time's gone on, I'm, I've just been more okay with things not going to plan. <laughs> more you okay know, with I, things to being completely I've, off the rails. I've grown jaded. No, um, the, uh, um, yeah, I, I think part of that's like just learning like, okay, people still had fun, even though this didn't go, you know, whether it's, I'm trying to think about going off the rails, like, how about one way I have this like at the end, one of your characters destroys another one of your characters with a spear of annihilation. <laughs> I think Rob would remember that remember one too. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one was one, which I, I don't know, you know, Rob, how much you've like listen to what we're doing here but uh i have i have expressed that that's one where i'm like i wish i would have done things differently but i was kind of a noob you know and um not not sure how you know that happened but uh yeah that that one um i think i look back and wish that was different uh i'm trying to think that the big thing for me is typically it's like oh man this is like this big fight i'm expecting 
and then someone just like banishes the creature and then they all just get in line and thwack it to death as soon as it shows up or like uh or just wow they just annihilated this thing and that that tends to be the more like man i just that totally didn't go the way i thought it was gonna go um there have been some social scenes um and it kind of depends on the group too of like what that looks like where like matthew brought up like maybe a a role play just is going longer, you know, than, than like what I'm expecting for that case. It's like, okay, I think I want to make sure to share the best I can. If there's like somebody's getting the spotlight a lot and that feels like it's a little off the rails where this has went longer than I even expected. I want to be sure to be like, Hey, like, okay, we're going to pause that for a second. Like, what are you all doing while this happens? And I do think sometimes that's a good way to like even the player who may be doing the most can kind of take a break, collect their thoughts. So it's not like a ramble kind of thing. Um, and hopefully other people feel engaged. Um, man, if it got like really bad, I'm just trying to think of like what a train wreck would look like on that. And I don't know, I think, guess thankfully I've not experienced, but I feel like it's like a massive train wreck of, uh, um, I think the worst thing I could think of happening is you have like the big battle and you come in and like they do something that totally kills everything you had planned and you just for some reason can think of nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, well, guys, uh, the night's over. Now yeah. what do you want to do? Anybody want to play cards? <laughs> I've um, never had something like that happen, but that's <laughs> always like the fear. It's like, yeah. all I have to do is just say, guys, I have nothing else left. Right. Uh, usually I can come up with something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Put a, put a <laughs> shop in front of somebody and decide to role play that. And you got, you got the night. Um, <laughs> yeah, just the, let them shop and, and it's, it's a taken care of. I think a good, uh, again, I, this may be adjacent to the question, but, um, something that happened recently, and I think I've seen it in our games too, but uh, like that communication thing. So if it's like maybe the the way my brain's going with like an encounter getting off the rails is almost like, okay, interpersonally players are having a problem and it's not even the game. It's like at the table. Um, and I've seen this in our stuff and communicating, making sure that like we're all good. But um, I was playing with the uh open tabletop and role-playing group on campus here hey to everybody if anybody's watching um and i was i actually got to play the other day and the the gm josiah there was a he's had a pause in the game because two of the players were gotten to a, a fist fight and started like and then it escalated to they're like this is in game not this is in game life. yeah in game, in game. <laughs> sorry in game not not at the table but um like in game, uh, the the characters are yeah. I said players. The characters are like killing each other, and um, he 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 did a really good thing. He was like, "Hey, just a second. Are you guys both good with this?" Like there was there was a you know a like question of like as players, are you guys both good with the fact that you're like attacking each other in game? And they were both like, "Yeah, this is awesome." And he was like, "Okay, all right, let's get back to it." You know, kind of thing because that could definitely like, I think that could be an escalation thing where it's like, okay, I'm like actually angry because 
why did you throw a fireball at me? And now, you know, and um, that could be a, a thing off the rails that I think like, all right, let's communicate. And if there was a person who was like, no, this is not cool. Okay. We're going to hand wave some stuff and just stop this. <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm going to put the, the finger of the DM into this, you know, and say, we're, we're done here. But um, I'm trying That's to think. We're having players that can trust one another. Yeah. You can like kind of back out of those situations yeah, a little yeah, bit, so. but you know, if you have players who never play together, you're at a convention. You don't always get yeah, that. Yeah, right. So. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, I don't feel like I've thankfully never dealt with the train wreck. So I don't know if I'm the best person to answer any more of that, but um, communication, um, being honest. <laughs> uh, sometimes and as far it's, as just like if the plot just went wrong, be ready to just throw something else at, at yeah, them. Right. You know, um, yeah. Uh, if it, if it's like a, wow, something just got wiped, you know, there, there are some like tools of the second wave kicks in the door or, you know, like, I think you can do some of those or, um, uh, Matthew, you were talking last week about, uh, even the, um, like a boss, like you were talking about the freshening of something turning into like a second form. That right. wasn't the terminology you used, but that may be a tool even there of like, okay, they wiped this guy, but actually you haven't seen my final form, you know, and like it, <laughs> it turns into something new. Um, I think if that's the problem of like, okay, the rails that it went off of were that we actually had a fight, we can, we can adjust in that way and it'd still be an interesting story. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's hit our second Haversack question yeah. of the day. Um, so this one is uh, from Wataya Hotel. I think we have some pictures involved in this. Um, Dear Matthew and Adam, uh, thanks for talking all things cartography today. My question is this. Have you ever heard or tried of the dice method of map making or world creation? Um, I haven't done it myself, but the basic premise is that you take all of your dice and roll them on a piece of paper, and then you draw around them in order to make land masses and islands. Uh, some people even assign different geographic features to different types of dice. Either way, I think this could be pretty cool to use in order to start from scratch and could be a great way to take the stress out of creating your maps. Uh, P.S. I've included a few pictures in case you're having trouble visualizing this. Sincerely, Wataya Hotel 98. Okay, so I've, uh, yeah, I've gone ahead and uh, this is the the picture he added here. You can see how he took a, a bunch of dice, somebody took a bunch of dice, rolled them out on a mat, and then like took a pen and began to trace around them in order to make continents. You can see, uh, I don't know if my mouse even shows up on here, but yeah. uh, you, you get these lines that you begin to create. And then uh, even down here at the bottom, whoops, I kind of made it smaller. He's got some islands he made out of single dice that rolled down there. Uh, but then because of, you know, the, the shape of this, he now has some continents. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's what he's talking about. And uh, let's see, I don't know how to scroll up and down on this. <laughs> uh, let's see, get out of there, scroll down. He also then said that uh, oh, yeah. some people talk about like, you can if you're so, uh, I was going to talk about this earlier, this idea that uh, you can use rice. Uh, I've done this where you, you take rice and you've just, you kind of spill it around uh, right. 
onto there and then trace around it and let that you know become your your major continents the same with beans people do that there uh, the cool thing about dice and you can see here on the screen they have this uh, you could roll all those dice out there and then uh, if you know he has like a different uh, so like a d4 anywhere where there's a d4 you make a little lake of whatever size if there's a, I don't even know what it is a d six is a mountain uh eights are forests maybe that would work for you you could also do something where you roll a bunch of the same dice out there a bunch of d20s or whatever if you get a a, a perfect score a 20 or if it's a oh, d10 yeah, you yeah. get a 10 or whatever then in that place you could make you know a capital city or that place you could make some area of interest uh based on the number uh being a perfect number or if you roll perfect ones those could be places of a particular evil or stuff like that right. uh, again uh going off of this idea that you have uh you just rolled out like a bunch of stuff on this map i have no idea how to actually <laughs> move that down now that i've <laughs> gone it There's really probably, it oh, really there we go really really bothers me that the d4s aren't the mountains i don't <laughs> know why <laughs> so anyway uh that's the kind of thing he's talking about and yes uh like i said i haven't done the dice i have done the rice i have done mm. beans again not ones that turned into real uh campaigns i've done them just to try making mm. maps yeah. and i've liked the outcome but i've typically already had another idea for a map i was just trying that because i'd heard of it yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but like this idea of the dice is is also a neat way to get yeah. your major land masses and your major geographical areas i like that yeah yeah it's it's cool um the the jade mask game i'm running right now the group is on an island and i did that island that way um i don't remember what i used it was something random that my kids had like i don't know those beads that you can like slip onto pipe cleaners or something like it was something like that but it was it's that method where i was like you know what i'm gonna try this out and play around and uh um just kind of dump this stuff and the cool thing with that too is you can even make minor adjustments where you're like ah, i don't really like this shape but i can scooch it and you can adjust and it does take a lot of stress out of that that was that was cool for that island of i felt like it came up with a cool thing and um you know again i'm pulling back the veil for anybody who's in the game but that actually led to some story because I dumped all this stuff and there was a big gap in the middle. And I was like, okay, this could be a thing. Is that a lake? No, actually it's a crater. And there's this huge mountain kind of side, something impacted this and shot up the stuff. And then that like brought me to a place where even this week I was thinking about the game and I'm like, this is what happened. Like yeah. even at that point, I didn't know. And so that was a cool thing where the, again, the map led to story versus story leading to the map kind of thing. So that's a really cool thing. And I, I definitely recommend people trying it out, even if, you know, you're like, ah, I just want to mess around with something or see how it works. It's a, it's a pretty cool system. Um, I do want to throw one more thing into that. Um, and I was going to pull them up earlier. Uh, there's several people that actually we follow as like Rise of the GM on Instagram that are like map makers. Yeah. And like do that, like even as like a job kind of thing or like a side hustle kind of deal. But one of the people, um, uh, and I forgot what their handle is. Um, sorry. It's writer. It's Kate Corsack is her name. Um, but she, she makes maps. She's a writer also. 
Um, but one of the things that, that uh, she did a few months ago was she spilled her coffee on the ground and took a picture of it and then did like a challenge of, can you make a map out of this like coffee spill? And it was pretty hilarious to see. It's kind of this method also of like people coming up with like really sweet maps that were just literally, she spilled her coffee and took a picture and people like went with it. So check out some of that stuff too. It's pretty, pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well guys, Hey, that is, uh, something that I do want to say is we always try to add stuff on our social media that we talk about during the week. So if uh, you haven't headed over to uh, Instagram or to Twitter or X uh, or any of those places, do that because uh, we will have some of these pictures and some of those thoughts along the way. And uh, yeah, don't forget, we're not here next week, uh, but we will be back the week following that for more on Rise of the GM. Thanks, guys, for watching. Yeah, see ya.